Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morkus, and today I sit down with Chad Pytel, who is the developer and CEO of ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is a product design and development consultancy with six studios across the US and UK. And for over 15 years, ThoughtBot has produced top quality web and mobile apps with hundreds of clients, from one-person startups to Fortune 500 enterprises, universities, and nonprofits. Chad has co-authored two books, spoken at conferences around the world, and is host of the podcast, Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. And on today's call, we talk about how ThoughtBot went from an idea to a small five-person web agency to over a 100-person consultancy, and how Chad has been able to grow this company over the last decade, and what that's been like to expand it and grow it across multiple geographic locations as well, because they have studios in multiple cities around the world. And my big takeaway from today's conversation is just that there are a lot of ways to kind of build the type of business you want to build. But the one thing that's critical is the vision, what you care about, how you do work, who you want to work with, the things that will separate you from others, because there's always going to be competition. But the thing that's going to separate you from, from the competition are your values, are your goals, and how you organize the work you do and why you do it. And that's the thing that really stood out to me when Chad was talking about how he grew ThoughtBot. It was this idea of how, by being kind of relentlessly focused on how they build the product and the types of people they want to work with, they've been able to grow so kind of naturally and organically to what is no small company with over 100 W-2 employees, which is a serious, significant undertaking. So we do dabble and talk about things like that, like why go W-2 route, what it's like to build an agency like this, what the experience was like to establish and set up physical locations in cities around the world, and the pros and cons of all those things. But again, my big takeaway is is kind of the mental and mission piece, the value-based piece, because that is the thing that seemed to really change everything for Chad and for ThoughtBot and allowed them to really grow beyond just this small little kind of like freelancer or mini agency, micro agency that they were when they first got started. All right, so I'm going to leave it at that. I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode. And if you do, please do me a favor, share it and leave a review on iTunes. Just go to tommorcus.com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review to help spread the word about this podcast. Okay, without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So Chad, the place I want to start is to hear a little bit about how you actually founded ThoughtBot. Uh, as a, I think previously a developer before that, how did you get into actually founding your own company and what was that transition like? Well, I went into... I had been freelancing since 1995 doing web design and development. And that was a really exciting time to be involved in the web. I got a lot of opportunity to you know, at the time, most businesses were creating their first website and moving online for the first time. So it was really exciting and decided to go to school for computer science. And that would have been basically at the height of the dot-com bubble. And so I went into school for computer science thinking I was going to get out and have a lot of opportunity in front of me. But while I was in school, we the dot-com bubble burst and then we had September 11th attacks. And so graduated in 2002 and the economy and you know job prospects were very different than uh, they were when I went in. And so I fell back on the freelancing that I had done before. And one of the, my clients said, you know, I know this guy who's getting started with something new. He's a little out there, but um, go talk to him and see, see whether it works. So I went and talked with him and he was a really, it seemed really exciting um, again, this was pretty early on the web and he wanted to create some web-based medical billing software. And I 
a lot of my friends were in the same boat in terms of finding work. And so they were looking for jobs too. So me and a few of the people that I had done computer projects with in school and had done improv and sketch comedy with, um, we all got hired together at this, at this new um, company. But when we joined, things weren't what they seemed to be. Um, the company didn't have the funding that the founder uh, said that it did. And um, it was a pretty bad environment. So things fell apart there pretty quickly. And but we what we discovered was we really like working together and that we have the ability to execute really well as a team. And so it was out of the ashes of that um, bad experience that once, sort of once again, I fell back on that freelancing um, design and development that I'd done and said, I think we can keep on working together. I can make some phone calls and just pass and clients and people that I know and we'll see if we can get some work. Everybody, everybody cool with that? And uh, that's how we got started. That's how ThoughtBot got started. And so at the time, you guys were basically just doing... Uh, I don't know if I uh, the words straightforward web design, but doing basically doing web design, web development for clients. Yeah, but what happened when I made those first phone calls was, you know, I'd call someone who I'd previously designed and built their website for, and they'd be like, "Well, our website's fine, but you know, we're having this problem with a computer, or we need to get a new computer, or we need our network upgraded." You're a computer guy. Will you do that? And just getting started um, from scratch, no savings. Um, there was a lot of pressure to say yes. It also didn't help that I had, well, uh, I had a background in like IT support too. So I could actually do that work. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted to be doing or what we wanted to be doing, but we could do it. And so we said yes. And we scraped together the first batch of clients doing, we like to say, everything anyone would pay us to do with computers. Um, but we put a nice name on it. We said, we're a, okay, we're going to be a full service IT consulting for small and medium sized businesses. But the problem was that when we, because we were everything to everybody, um, we weren't really anything. And we spent the first two years not being very successful at all because we didn't really have a vision or a focus. And um, as a result, uh, after two years, three of the original founders of ThoughtBot decided, you know what, um, <laughs> we're just going to go get normal jobs now. Um, and that was the first important turning point for the company when ThoughtBot really became ThoughtBot. Okay. So a couple questions about that. What, so that was a couple years into it. Um, so I have two questions. But the first one I wanted to ask was, this, and this is kind of interesting. What, what, what do you... When you say that, you said for first years, it was not very successful, but you guys were still working. You were still doing what you were doing. You were obviously trying to figure things out. I think there's a lot of people who find themselves maybe in something like this. Now you can look back in hindsight and say, those two years were not successful. And that means something different than obviously what happened after. So what was going wrong or what was the problem there? And what was that like? Like, what does not success look like in a capacity like this? So I have two main metrics for success. The first and most important one is, are we happy? Are we fulfilled mm. in the work that we're doing? And we were not. Um, we weren't really doing the work that we wanted to be doing because we were doing all of those different like computer ob jobs. We wanted to design and build products that people love to use. And we were selling computers and setting up networks and doing website mm. redesigns and that kind of thing. And not only that, but we were working crazy long hours trying to make the business work doing things that we didn't actually love to do. Mm. So that's the first most important metric for success 
financially, um, we also weren't successful. So I think our first year, um, uh, you know, I, I think I made $24,000 that year. And that just wouldn't have worked if we weren't a bunch of guys with no debt right out of college, um, except for our student debt. Um, like that just wasn't a sustainable wage. Um, and so by both of those metrics, um, that's what I mean by we weren't successful. Got it. No, I, I want to ask because I think a lot of people find themselves in that position, but they're grinding it out. It's like, well, where do I go from here? So you guys, it sounds like you were kind of forced into a pivot or if not a pivot, you're forced into at some point, some, something came, you know, something happened where everybody was like, ah, this is the juice isn't worth the squeeze for us. So we're, we're just going to go get stable jobs, but you kept, kept going. So tell me a little bit about that transition. The, when they showed us, showed me that we could just stop that we really, we, we weren't very successful. Uh, we weren't working the way that we wanted doing the things that we wanted to do rather than make me give up. It put us in the mindset of we have nothing to lose. And so this isn't worth doing if we're not doing the kinds of work we want to do in the way that we do, let's give it another shot and we have nothing to lose. And so we literally that day took out a piece of paper and wrote a list of here's what we believe. Here's how we, the things we want to do as a company. And here's the things we don't want to do. And we started behaving in a completely different way when talking to customers or potential customers and positioning ourselves in the market. We were, we had much more clarity around who we were and what we wanted to do. And we were willing to say no to the things that didn't match that because our friends had showed us we could just, if it all failed, we could just go get another job. And that was very freeing. It also helped that almost overnight, it felt like we were started to be much more successful by those two metrics, fulfilled in our work and financially successful. So, so it sounds like number one, if there's like one big takeaway, it's like, if you find yourself maybe in uh, what feels like chaos, doing a lot of different work, um, not necessarily profiting uh, a ton from it and feeling kind of burnt out or not loving it, Maybe the first thing to do before anything else is what can you cut out, right? And, yeah. and what could you streamline? What could you offer exclusively or something, so, something of that nature? It sounds like what you guys did was a narrowing kind of a calling or, 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 or um, scrubbing of, of that and, get in, and reducing or, or minimizing um, offers and things like that. So you went, you went the route of instead of adding more, you reduced. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And you know, in our case, we literally wrote a list of the things. Um, I found that really helpful. So I would, I would encourage, there's no harm in writing an actual list down. And the, the thing is, is when, when we did that, you know, the list wasn't arbitrary. The, they were the things that, that we believed in and that we were going to be happy doing. And as a consulting company, what that did, it, it had the side effect we didn't do this intentionally, but the reason why it led us to be more successful is that when then there's a community of potential customers out there. And if, when we said we were, we would do anything and we were open to all different kinds of way of working and different development and design practices and that kind of thing. And we, there was no reason why anyone out in the potential sea of customers would specifically seek us out as that's a company that I want to work with. And so when we started to be much more clear about here's our process and here's how we work and here's the tools that we use. And we're going to say no to others. We essentially specialized in those and we found our niche. So the people that 
um, so the the biggest example at the time was test driven development. So test driven development is a practice where you write testing code alongside of the real code that you're writing. So everything everything that you build has an automated test suite along with it. And at the time, um, we had done some projects with that and some without. And we really believe that test-driven development leads to not only more fulfilling work for us, but better products overall that have less bugs and that you can change more quickly. But there was a, you know, in, in the community of potential customers, there's basically two sides to that issue. Ones who believed in test-driven development and were willing to seek out companies that work that way, and others who actively, you know, either didn't care or believed you shouldn't do it. And the test-driven development one was actually, at the time, a much smaller group of people, but they are the ones who are passionate and believed in that idea. And so it's the kind of thing where not only did we have customers seeking us out to work that way, but we had team members who would... They were leaving their job over being told they couldn't do test-driven development. And they would join us because we were one of the only companies in Boston where you could do test-driven development full-time. So if you were a developer that truly believed in that as a practice, we were, we were getting team members who were leaving their jobs because of that. When you start to see that, you realize, oh, we're, we're sort of on to something here. We found a niche in which we can be successful. So just to, to, to elucidate that for the listener and myself, actually, because when I, when I think about that and listen to it, I'm like, there's something kind of interesting here because when I hear that test-driven, it almost sounds like one of those things when you know we're talking marketing sales, like what, what might be called a feature, not a benefit. And yet, but there's something here to it. And it, it attracted employees to you and attracted people who want to work for you. But then it also sounded like it was also a differentiating factor for uh, generating clientele, a specific type of clientele. So it was, it worked, I think it seems like it worked on multiple levels. Was that about right? And maybe you can yeah. dig in a little bit deeper. Why, why is that? Like, what was it about that? And is, and, and do you find any correlations today? Like, is there something like that where there's things kind of dividing lines where you could say like, these are different types of things where if you were struggling with different ways that you could even just pick out some examples so we can try to see what it would be like today to think about that. Like, cause there's something special obviously going on when you, when you narrow it down in that respect. Yeah. So in the context of, um, you know, whether it be a, a marketing business or that kind of thing, you could all, you could do the same thing. But the, the important thing is that we didn't choose that because we thought it was going to be successful. Right. We chose it because as the people doing the work, we b- fundamentally believed that it was a better way to work. And had we tried to chase the thing we thought would be successful, we probably wouldn't guess it right. Um, so it could be a tool. It could be like, you know, I've used every one of these tools for analytics tracking and I'm an expert in a bunch of them. And I know that this one is the best one right now, or this is the best technique. And there's no harm in specializing that. People probably aren't going to leave their job to come join you because of the marketing automation tool that you use. But it's an, it's an, exa- an example of how specialization can help drive people to you. Because the people who believe, who seek out that expertise or who believe the same thing you do will seek it out in, in, in when they look for the company that they want to work with. And do you find any, that there are any parallels to today in that regard? Well, it's, it's really interesting. They're definitely for ThoughtBot specifically and, and for us in our business, a lot of the things that we chose or that we wrote down on that list to begin with were principles and practices around the work we were doing. 
Mm. And, and I think that was because we were on the forefront of an industry, the web and web 2.0 was just happening. Um, and so there was a lot of opportunity for us to say, we want to work this way around our tools or, or our technologies. And, and that made us stand out because it was a proxy for the values that we had that as a company and as a team and as individuals for the way that we want to work. So what happened was when we said we want to um, use Ruby on Rails or we're going to do test-driven development, those were proxies for values that we had about the way products should be built and, and, and the way and the kinds of tools we would use. So the phenomenon that's happened over the last 16... So this was, this was um, 13 years ago. So over the, last 16, uh, over the last 13 years since making that decision... Um, We've won a lot of those things. A lot of the practices and tools and techniques that we said, hey, we're doing this and, it, and it's fairly niche, ha- have won. They've become mainstream. They've become standard. And they're no longer the things that make us stand out. Now, for ThoughtBot, the things that make us unique and stand out now are actually a lot more of those values-driven things where we can say, and there, there are things that like building an equitable uh, workplace that, that is inclusive and has a diverse team. Um, those kinds of things are the things that are, that are creating niches today, that are creating values-based differentiation in the marketplace around, I want to work with this kind of company as a client and versus I don't want to work with this company, or I want to be a part of this company as an, as a team member versus I don't want to be. So we evolved there over time. And I think we're, we're in the right place at the right time in terms of those values driven, um, decisions that are being made today in the, in the, in the buying marketplace. And just saying, we want to work on products that improve the world, that deserve to exist, um, you know, is a differentiating factor. We're not going to work with everybody to do anything. Um, we're going to do things that make sense. Mm. And you went from we kind of, you know, again, these very humble origins. And now you have uh, over 100, 100% person consultancy, right? That's what ThoughtBot is right now. So we're, we're a little over 100 people. Um, we're in six cities. So we primarily work locally with our customers in those cities that we're in because we like to work face-to-face with people and like to have relationships with, directly with our customers. And so we're in Boston, New York City, London, uh, Raleigh. Austin, Texas, and San Francisco. Why, what was the point for you guys to expand out and, and establish kind of geographical locations in specific cities? For up until 2012, we were just 20 people in Boston. And we really felt like we didn't know how to be the kind of company that we wanted to be doing the kinds of things we wanted to do in the way that we wanted to do them. So for example, we don't have really people who are salespeople. We have designers and developers um, talking directly to customers because we don't really want anyone in between us and our customers, um, you know, making promises that can't be delivered, you know, all those kinds of things. We want agency over, over our, own, our own work. And so we didn't know how to be bigger than 20 people and not, not, um, and make more sales than could support those 20 people. Um, and just the dynamics around group size and team size and what um, makes us fulfilled in our work. You no, know, around 20, 25 people, things really start to change. And so we avoided 
growing beyond that for a long, long time. It was the thing that triggered the change. There's two things. We were coming up on 10 years of being in business. And so for me personally, as a founder, that was a very big psychological milestone. And, And I started thinking about, okay, you know, I don't have a plan B. This has been 10 years. Are, is what I'm talking about here that I'm going to do this forever that, or you know, another 10 years? Um, and if that's the case, am I happy with the impact that we've had on the world and on the people who believe what we believe? And I started to be honest with myself and say, yeah, I'm not happy. Um, that if I look at the impact we've had, the products we've built, they're all great. But what I, what motivates me is that I, I believe that there's a better way to work and I want to share it with as many people as possible. And by staying small, um, by minimizing um, our size intentionally, I was holding us back from really fulfilling that, that mission. And do you, do you find that there's a benefit even today in a, a very, uh, what, what will you say? Um, virtual kind of work environment, um, being able to kind of like the, the proliferation of just like work from anywhere, uh, kind of businesses and companies being able to work with other companies around the world. Like, is there still value to being physically based in, in a bunch of cities around the world? Is that a value to you guys and how you work? So it is a value that, that are the way that we work is we are very quick. So the majority of projects that we work on products that we build, work with customers to build is go from concept to launch with a team of three people. Um, everything we do launches within 12 weeks to somebody. And so to be able to execute at that um, speed, it's really um, beneficial to be in the same room together. Now, that's not to say we couldn't do it remotely, but um, when, a, when someone is in New York City, for example, and has this exciting new idea and has the funding to be able to execute on it, meeting them where they are, having those personal connections, um, moving very quickly uh, allows us to um, be just more fulfilled, All everyone, including the client, to be more fulfilled in the collaboration that's happening. And um, so for us, it's worth it. But I've, I've said before on different shows and, and different... Um, you know, conversations that if I were building a different kind of company in a different kind of way, I would probably do a remote team today. Um, if I was building a, a more product focused company or a SaaS business or whatever, I would b- probably do a remote distributed team. I think what we've tried to do with ThoughtBot is, is a compromise solution that where we have the studios set up and we're doing some cross studio work, but that we can bring ThoughtBot to more people all over the world, but that on the work we're doing on a day-to-day basis, you're not waiting across time zones for people. You're able to collaborate in a really high bandwidth way, but we're all part of something bigger and we're having a bigger impact on the world by working with clients all over. Mm. And it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, it's we're striking that balance pretty well now, I think. Yeah, no, I, I see the huge benefit and I see the drawback on, on virtually distributed teams, but I see the, I see the pros and cons on both, you know? And so I, I think it is just one of those things where it, you know, you got to do what, what makes the most sense. But I think there's, there is still a ton of value of, of being able to work at a team in the same time zone 
uh, at least if, if what you're trying to do is like speed of implementation, if it's an industry like that. So that makes, that still makes a lot of sense to me. Um, with what you guys are doing and growing, like, how is that then like in terms of like managing something? I mean, you know, I don't I wouldn't say, I don't know if you manage it anymore, but that's, you know, hundreds of, um, hundreds of, of people who work for you. I don't know if they're employees of W2, how you guys work that, but that's a lot of people. Um, I know you work on a lot of projects at one time. How do you actually manage that whole operation? Like what are the key pieces to it to make sure it runs without, uh, <laughs> all come crashing down. Right. <laughs> well, everyone is a W2 employee. Okay. Um, and the reason why we do that is because we, we have a really strong value system and a process. And so from the beginning, I've always felt like in order to really get people on board and, and, and living that, living that value system, um, not only doing that process, but then participating and making it even better. I felt like we were asking for a commitment and we, were, we needed to be willing to make a commitment and building a team of loose independent contractors um, that all weren't technically part of the same team wasn't going to cut it. And so we've done that since the beginning. Has that, by doing that, um, it's, it, there's obviously a level of risk involved in doing something like that uh, in, in like consistent overhead and expenses. But um, in terms of like broad scope, do you find there's greater value in that beyond just like the, the, the team, the benefits of the team component? But even from a monetary or a financial standpoint of having people w 2 um, because contractors I know can become very expensive and, and can be more difficult to manage. Like, do you find that there's actually like a financial benefit even to the fact that you're, you know, you have W2s for all your employees? <laughs> it's a really good uh, question. You know, I know of some firms that are, you know, comparable to, to us in terms of rates and, and what, what they do. And they, what they do is they maintain about a 50, 50 ratio where they have a core staff, about 50% of their staff is W2. And then the rest is flex independent contractors. And they are probably more profitable than we are. Um, and so honestly, it's a trade-off that we're willing to make because I want to build a different kind of team and a different kind of company. I want a, a brand that stands for something that when people choose to work with ThoughtBot, they understand what they're getting and not some you know transient group of people that's flexing up and down um, to meet mm -hmm. the current needs. And so it, it's just a philosophy. And, and I honestly think it probably doesn't work as well for us financially. Um, but that's a trade-off that we've been yeah. willing to make historically. Oh, it's good. Good to know. I mean, I, I, and I kind of like hearing that it doesn't always have to be sunshine, you know, sometimes you got to make trade-offs and that's the thing you guys have chosen to do. And yeah, you know, good on you for, you know, for, for planning that flag the way you guys want to plan it. Yeah. And I think that's great. So you were asking about management. I could probably, mm -hmm. um, yeah. so the way, part of the way that we manage things is very much around that studio structure of having the six studios. So each studio has a team of at least three people that is the leadership team of the studio, a design director that leads the design team, a development director that leads the development team, and a managing director who manages the business of the studio. So the PL of that studio and is the primary salesperson for that studio. And together they come to 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 uh, to lead the studio. Now we actually didn't start off doing the studios that way. And it was a big mistake. Um, because there's sort of this, and what led us astray was there's sort of this myth of me being the one who did everything at ThoughtBot. And so 
when we talked about how ThoughtBot was organized when we were only one studio, um, if you ask someone, they would say like, well, Chad leads the company and leads the studio and does the sales and he leads the design team and the development team. And the reality was that not that, that it was, I was always supported by a team of people who had shared responsibility and were the leadership team. But because of that sort of myth around how the company was managed and, and organized, we were led astray when we started to open new studios because we could set, we said, you, this one person, you're starting the studio, you're in charge of everything, you know, you're responsible for everything. And it's, too much for one person to do, particularly because most of us are designers and developers. So to, we don't necessarily have all of the skill set of managing an entire business on our own. And also, we still want to be designers and developers. And so by forming a team around those individual responsibilities, we can do those individual responsibilities while still doing design and development. And so that works really well for us. And it's the, the structure. And then so each of those teams, like I manage the man managing directors. And so we get together on a weekly basis remotely, once at the beginning of the week, again, at the end of the week to touch base, to go over the numbers and how things are shaping up in terms of sales. And then to, uh, to retrospect at the end of the week and work on our process and organization. And where does it go for you in terms of like now moving forward? Like you're pretty significant size. Like, is it something where it just like kind of continue to grow, continue to expand? Like where, where's your hat head at with all of this and kind of moving forward? Right now, I'm really enjoying the day-to-day -day work of um, meeting new customers, talking to them about what we're going to achieve together and helping them execute on that and working with the ThoughtBot team the managing director in each studio and then the other directors as well on like growing all of that across the six studios. And we have a lot of growth ahead of us just in the six studios. So, um, you know, San Francisco is only 12 people. We're a hundred people across the company, but each individual studio, you know, Raleigh is 11 people. I mean, sorry, uh, Austin is 11 people and Raleigh is I think six right now. Um, and so just within those markets, we have, we can double or triple the size of the team. And so I'm really excited by that. And we have a lot of headroom to go um, just where we are. And then from there, um, it's not necessarily part of the plan, but you could easily see how we could continue to open other studios um, and bring ThoughtBot to more places all over the world. And so I've got a lot of runway and a lot of headroom just on, just on that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been really fascinating, Chad. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of share what you guys are doing at ThoughtBot. If people are, are interested in learning more about you and what you guys are doing, maybe to connect with you or work with you, where should they go? So you can find me on Twitter at cpytel, C-P-Y-T-E-L. Um, you can find ThoughtBot at tw on Twitter at ThoughtBot, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-B-O-T. And that's on the web at ThoughtBot.com as well. Awesome. Well, Chad, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. 
I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed, working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, et cetera, I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually, replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless, and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort, thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. 
And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is get back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding, is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, or profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there. 